0: Welcome to the Sarah and George Choi Property Podcast, the show that helps you to become financially free so you can spend time with your family, traveling and pursuing your passions. And today we're interviewing Billy Turiff on how to buy property in the UK from overseas. Now, this is quite an exciting episode. So if you're currently overseas and you want to invest in the UK, this is good. If you want to work with an overseas investor and you live in the UK, this is also going to be really good for you because we're going to be going through, you know, the real logistics, the nitty gritty of how you actually do it and how is it different um, from 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 you know living in the UK versus living overseas. Plane travel. Plane travel. <laughs> it's a plane travel.
1: Um,
0: but you can do some of this remotely, so um, it's going to be really interesting talking to Billy. So a bit about Billy. So he's an award-winning property investor. He's also a coach, and he has a, sp- a specific focus on multi lets and developing listed buildings, mm. and particularly Grade One listed buildings. Which is keen. That sounds brave. <laughs> he's also been featured in YPN magazine uh, and also at inside property investing. And he's launched a finance company, Kensington Mm. Finance. So it's going to be great to chat to him about that. So, Billy, welcome to the show.
2: Very well. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, So, um, yeah, it's great to have you on. And um, I'd love to, you know, go back to um, go back back in your story to when you when you moved to Dubai. So why on earth did you decide to move to Dubai from the UK? I mean, that's quite unusual.
2: So I think I moved it would have been about two thousand five, two thousand and six for uh, an eighteen-month contract, which then lasted nine years. <laughs> oh <as well>. wow! <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> okay, so for yeah. work then. Yeah,
2: okay. yeah, yeah. So we, so we went out. I helped set up a joint venture consulting business with right. Dubai government, and kind of timing was everything because. Mm-hmm. We kind of set it up really at the peak of just before the credit crunch hit oh, with wow. the nice. government. So we probably had an, an amazing start to it. And then very quickly as the cranes came down in Dubai in about 2007, 2008, what was meant to be a Dubai-based business ended up being a Middle East business. So I right. then spent quite a bit of time in places like Saudi, Kuwait, Egypt, Jordan.
1: Mm. But at least they didn't sack you. So <laughs> yes. that was that was a no, good no. start.
2: We we, we survived good. it, so um, and, and it actually worked well for the business because we were probably spoiled on the work in Dubai when that mm. hit us, it actually helped us to go and go into different markets. Brilliant,
0: yeah. brilliant. So so you've you've moved out to Dubai, which you know is a brave thing to even consider in the first place. Um you you already had a, a couple of properties already, didn't you, before you started? <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I actually bought my first property in 2001, which is my personal home to, to live mm-hmm. in when I was working based in, in Dublin. And then kind of between, um, two, to, well, before I got to Dubai, I had about four four properties, something like that, mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of got fallen into the mistake of starting to... You know, buy some stuff overseas. So I'd like a house in Dublin, a house in the UK, and a house right. in Bulgaria.
1: Yeah, we've <laughs> spoken to a few people who did that. It was very much the thing at the time, wasn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, we, we never did that ourselves, yeah. but it seems to be quite common that uh, people end up with flats in new built in funny places.
2: Exactly. I mean, I mean, actually, kind of before Dubai, I really wanted to do property, but then as I'd kind of bought some of that stuff in the Irish market crash, you know, almost all mm. houses equity yeah so when I was in Dubai to start with I was just focusing on the corporate career and not really right. thinking too much about property
0: yeah makes sense. that makes sense so um you know at what point then so when you were in Dubai at what point did you say okay now I want to start investing back in the UK and why, and why did you decide to do that
2: yeah, So it was probably about 2010-2011 and um, at that stage I've been in the corporate world for quite a long time what you know it didn't really light the fire in my belly as as it had done previously. Mm. Yeah, and then I kind of always remembered that I kind of liked the property, and I kind of reflected and thought, well, in in the kind of early two thousands, everyone was just buying for capital growth. No one even talked really about yield. It was yeah. just. About capital growth and all, you know, kind of a bit more experience. That that doesn't make too much sense. Yeah. So I kind of got a bit more educated and thought, right, I need to start to buy stuff for cash flow. Yes, yes,
3: yes. Very
2: that unique. was about 2010, 11, but still made mistakes then. Probably <laughs> too cheap, you know, terraces that just seemed you no. Know, they give a great yield but then by the time you actually work out the maintenance some of the tenants etc
3: yeah. and then
2: the, the, the next kind of area I then focused on was saying okay how, how can we do this with actually multi-led so when you take a house and rent it out to a number mm-hmm. of people yeah. And I do that. I do that for professionals now as well. But mm-hmm. when I started I, I did it mainly for the, the student market. Okay. And I found it at that point, um, you know, it was really before all these big HMOs were, were available, it was all mm-hmm. three and four bedroom single let or does it, um, yeah. Does yeah. it single let properties yeah. rather than, than big conversions. And that just could um, a rocket up the cash flow, basically. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, um, thinking of thinking about the first one that you bought from Dubai, uh, talk us through the process. You know, of even you know viewing ones. So you found you found something. I guess did you find it on the internet at that point? Um, how, yeah, How, yeah. Did, it, how the, did it happen? The,
2: so st- standard right move at that point. My ex partner's um, family were, were 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 in Liverpool, so she she was actually home visiting her family. So um, we've you know picked on, on Liverpool because we had a bit of a knowledge about it. Um, Hard and her mum actually went and visited it, and you know I mean, we actually bought it cash again. at that point, kind of kind of learned a lot since then. And you know, it was like you know, save up everything. Lloyds were one of the few banks that were lending to expats right. at that, that time, um, but their their favoured approach was for you to actually buy in cash and and then refinance. But we we also you know. And it, it worked well. We actually paid the full market price for it. Yeah. But I then got a number of deals from that same estate agent going mm. for, you know, sometimes everybody wants everything to be perfect. Sometimes you've got to pay for your education or pay for a deal. And, you know, the, probably I then got about another five, six deals from that agent. Mm. Um, before It would go to market, et cetera. So yeah. even if it was a bit expensive, um, it paid for it in the long run.
0: Right. So so talk us through then, you know, how you actually did it. So you found you saw one on move. And then I'd yeah,
2: so, so I, I, I done, done research first yeah. to kind of find out, yeah, demand here, what areas, mm-hmm. you know, r- contacted a lot of the agents that dealt with the students, mm-hmm. asked areas to go into, the areas not to go into. Yeah. Phone up at university, spoke right. to the housing officers there, where to go, right. where, where where not to go, etc. Mm-hmm. Then kind of narrowed it down mm-hmm. to two main postcodes, but also only using half of that area within yeah. the postcode. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that that makes sense. And then I, I sent my my ex wife and her mom to go and view about twenty oh, houses.
1: Okay. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, okay. So you
2: still Omar. had a good relationship. Yeah. <laughs> good enough. <Yeah. laughs> so
1: your your mother in law was part of your power team then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Did you see
1: them yourself at all, or were you just buying on them?
2: No, seen, I hadn't seen. I saw pictures again. Okay. You know, we kind of went to see them, took pictures. Mm-hmm. A, a, Etc. Yeah, and then I also thought you I reviewed them with estate agents as well. Mm-hmm. Sort of saying, this is what I'm looking at. this yeah. is what the cost cool. is. Yeah, how does it seem? um Etc. But it, it's you. Say, sometimes we overcomplicate it. You know, a lot of people have bought their own house, mm-hmm. buying an investment house is, is just buying a house. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did Did you come? You know, encounter any resistance then from the estate agents when you when you called them up and you said, you know, I'm I'm living in Dubai right now and I want to buy. An investment property here how did you find not,
2: that? Not, not in 2011 you've got to remember 2011 the market the market was yeah. on its back so right. in 2011 was a great time to, like, to buy anyone
1: please it. buy a house i don't yeah. care what we have to do yeah
0: <laughs> it was yeah
2: investors that were picking up the market yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, cool. So um, I'm guessing at that time you weren't buying in companies; so you just didn't buy them in your personal name.
2: No, I mean, again, we didn't set up the company to 2016. Mm. Uh, again, I mean, it, it worked, you know, fine because we were based in Dubai, so we could yeah. have a UK income and get the, the, the twelve thousand each tax breaks sort of mm-hmm. thing. So, right. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm still split between my personal name and company. I still think a blend yeah. approach yeah. works mm-hmm. well. But I mean, I haven't bought in my own name for. I mean, well five um, six years. yeah I think, there's a lot of us invest, in that boat. yeah we're all in that bucket we've yeah we've got two bits
0: <laughs>
1: yeah but it's, it's not well i mean it can be worth doing if you've got a tax specialist and if, if you do it in certain ways but we, we've got a blended bucket ourselves yeah, we've got, got some yeah. personally yeah. and then future purchases are in companies yeah. Yeah. it
2: works well in your own name and you're kind of releasing finance and mm-hmm. that's t- when it's in your own name, when it's when it's in the company, you yeah. want to, you, you've got to pay tax on it. So yeah. I, I definitely think a blended approach works well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Cool. So
0: so they they did the viewing. Um, you you were buying in cash and then refinancing
2: afterwards. Yeah, so kind of, kind of did that from 2011 to 2015. You know, mm-hmm. went up to about seven properties. Yeah, and um, so I think I had three multi lets. You know, but like were three slash four bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, what what I also did. At that time, was a got a uh, joint venture partner, Guy Peter, who I'd kind of met from the forums, et cetera, and kind of yeah. spoken to on, on, on yeah. the phone, et cetera. And again, I then funded some of the deals in cash.
3: Right. And he, he,
2: he, he would you know, help look at them, help manage any of mm-hmm. the work. I, I would fund it in cash. Yeah. We would then um, refinance it and then go back 50-50. So that was another thing, getting someone. I got someone on the ground pretty early yeah. that whipped certain deals did come on he could actually go and, and visit them rather than you know because obviously me and my wife weren't back in the uk all the time yeah yeah, yeah.
1: i um, mean that makes sense to have a, a business partner who's, mm. who's well effectively they've got some skin in the game because even if they're not putting the money in they're they it's of interest in them to get a good deal because they're obviously getting you mm. know money going forward aren't they so you, uh, you yeah
0: yeah, and were there any problems with getting bank accounts with you being overseas, or was that all? That was, uh, I had yeah, well. my
2: bank account that I had before. I, I right. Oh, okay. okay. So as an I,
1: expat, that yeah. worked then. Right.
2: Right. But cool. the, it's you know as time has gone on, you know, and I have worked with a number of expats now. You know, there, there's a number of administrative challenges and it really is best to try and get that stuff set up as soon as possible. I mean, even for a, someone based in the UK, just now setting up a business account takes yeah. a couple of weeks with a bank. Just yeah. yeah. a
0: if an, an investor came to you right now and they're, and they're yeah. based in another country... Um, but
1: they're an expat. But so they're, they're an they're, expat. They're, yeah.
0: um, what advice would you give them on how to make sure they're set up properly to be able to go and buy the property in the UK?
2: Yeah, so really to think you to get one strategy first off in, in one area. So like the, one of the key things that, that helped me is I could build quite a good power team in terms of um you know probably 25 to 26 houses all within a mile of each other oh wow so actually then using things like estate agents build teams people to do structural checks being able to understand you know i can still tell you that i'm not investing in that area Mm -hmm. i can still name the 10 streets in a row what ones work yeah what ones don't work so it's such a Think of your, your area and then also, you know, to be honest, a bit like what I said earlier, you know, be, be, be careful. You know, most people are good in, out there, but there are a couple of sharks. But at the same time, don't, you know, you're going to try and negotiate for everything and pay at the bottom of everything. You're going to struggle as well. Mm-hmm. So actually, you know, get arrangements with an agent knowing that you're new to the area, accepting that you maybe have to pay a full price the first time, mm-hmm. then to actually get into their, their their kind of black book is Definitely. important. Yeah. Yes. And mm-hmm. then, you know, one of the other things, you have know, a good mortgage broker who's yeah. worked mm-hmm. with you the whole time.
1: Yeah, and you want somebody who can deal with expats, obviously, and has access to those kind of mortgages and knows what they're talking yeah, about.
2: Yeah, and again, my, my preference is, my, my broker is, is a UK broker. Yeah. There's a lot of the companies that are set up for overseas people that will probably charge a premium Mm -hmm. and not actually know all of the market. Um, At the same time, I did have one guy, and I'm not sure if he's still going or not, but he did just focus on on expats, and he was a great guy, but I actually met him in Dubai. He actually, at that time, he used to travel, go to Dubai, go to Singapore, Go to Hong Kong, but mm-hmm. you know, having um, you know, good accountant, and again, you know, I'd have an, an accountant that has his own property portfolio, yep. yeah, so they can give you the proper advice on it rather than a, a standard one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, kind of thinking of those three, four people that that, that are important, and then get the key area. I mean, it, it got to the point that you know, when we, one of the reasons we could scale so much is we then used to like advertise. On the houses, we used to pay the trades guys a commission. Right. And they could get, you know, because people would come up to them in the street and say, you know, who's your boss? Are they interested in buying places, mm. etc. So almost that you want to go kind of like whatever the, the phrase is, you know, a, a kind of a centimeter wide and then a mile deep yeah. in, right. into one area. All the technical people you want to get are property people, you know, to so mm. get a property accountant, mm-hmm. get a broker who, who's also worked in it. And then think of like w- what costs you can't do. So, you know, you can't, you're looking at auctions, you know, you can't pay a solicitor to review every single legal pack, so (laughs) work out maybe. You could,
1: you'd be dead like you. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and
2: and, and similarly with with surveys, so I used to, you know, I had a a solicitor that, you know, if I was buying through auction, I would guarantee him the work and give him other work so he would review it, Mm -hmm. and then Mm -hmm. instead of doing the full structural surveys that half of it's just the the surveyor can't be, able to be um, protecting themselves. Yeah, yeah. I pay a, pay a fixed fee to a structural engineer that I'd used before. Right, he'd go through the houses. If everything was fine, he would just send me a message and say it's fine. You can buy it. Like yeah. thanks, yeah. you. 200, 300 quid. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but if there was an issue, he would say, this wall's moved, there's maybe need some underpinning there, right. I expect right. the cost would be this, or you need to do further investigation. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. So again, just thinking think of those individual ones. Mm. And I would yeah. also, um, you know, one of the things that also helped me, though, was I was also able to bop, um, borrow money in the UAE and use that for purchases in the UK. Ah. So ah. Just about, you, you can kind of flip it on its head, Mm. Um, in the UAE, it was very easy to borrow money, <laughs> um, <laughs> to, 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 to what it is in the UK. And yeah, you, know, you ask for money, tell them you're buying property in the UK. It's totally, and and they'll give you a one year, five year loan, etc. Um, so again, so don't just forget your your, your local market. Right. And mm-hmm. then I think the, probably the third thing I'd say for for the logistics is. The reality is when you're kind of starting out, you need to think about how you source the deals, yeah. how you finance the deals and how do you operate them. Mm-hmm. And it's in, in that order. Too many people spend too long thinking about operating them, thinking of different areas. You know, Make sure you, you've got to get deals coming in. Yeah. And you, that's what you should really be focusing on. And then until you've got the deal up and running, then you can worry about the other stuff.
0: Yeah. How, how does the company set up um, vary between um, somebody with an overseas investor um, and versus where they're all based in the uk
2: when you say the company set up you mean in terms of how everything's managed
0: no 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 just in terms of you know um structuring the company so for example do you have to have if you're if you're setting up a company um with an overseas investor do they have to have for example somebody based in the uk or can Um, you just do it abroad or is it dependent per country um
2: Yeah, so so certainly for UK residents, um, Mm. and I think it's the same for any resident. So when I set up my company from Dubai, I'm 100% shareholder in the company. Mm -hmm. If I I wanted to set up a company in Dubai, I would have needed a local to be a shareholder with me.
1: Right. 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 Yeah, okay. That's pretty simple then, really.
2: Yeah. And again, so we're using an accountant because there is... Um, you know, a bit, bit boring but it's important You know, whether you're having a buy to hold company or a trading company right. has got impacts on inheritance tax and property um, entrepreneurs relief yeah. so again you want an accountant that's working in property you know setting mm-hmm. up a company you can put a company's house for £10 £20 yes. but yes. again I, I would pay my accountant a couple of hundred and we still do it now when we've got a new company mm-hmm. make sure got it set up right the shareholder Absolutely. agreements right yeah it's going to
1: cost you a lot more to fix it later isn't it that's yeah. the thing
2: Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Or yeah. just yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: always comes back to power team, doesn't it? Power that's team. how it always that's works. Right. I mean, that's that's how we recommend people start, you know, even newbies, is borrowing mm. somebody's power team, ideally in an area, or finding a power team, because it makes it so much easier, doesn't it, if you've got professionals?
2: No, no totally. I and, mean, you know, and again, a key weave for that, you know, particularly when you're using trades, is mm. you pay the fee, you get an invoice. I've, I've you know, still do that, you know, occasionally one might take one or two days just because wherever i am but i've always made a point is making sure that the people are paid straight away because yeah. then they'll, they'll keep coming to you the other thing i've made a point of doing is working with what i'd call kind of people that are, are relatively small businesses so it's maybe an, an estate agent that they've worked they've worked in an estate agency before they're a couple of years into their journey so typically they're hungry typically mm. they're going um so you know they're they're kind of families or two two friends together similarly you know Plumbers have got, um, you know, whatever, there's probably four or five of them, but yeah. I'm direct to the owner. Same on the paint, same, you know, we've got a facilities manager now mm-hmm. who manages it. But I still know um, most of the trades companies that we work with. And it's the point that I know them at the manager level, our owner level. If there's then any, any issue, I can go straight to them rather than being left alone, sort of thing. Yeah. And then I, I think the, the other point I would say that I think is important is. You know, property is great in a way and it probably out of all businesses, I would argue it's definitely is the most passive, but you kind of need to be active to start with nice. you know I wouldn't recommend people just try and go on to right move and do everything from abroad um, you know you 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 know like the, the year when I was really active from the UAE I, mean, I actually slept in an airplane thirty nights you know kind of going back <laughs> to do so and I, I was flying through the night so I wouldn't lose days at work yeah. you know so, right. uh, but but you know, I'd argue if you do one year really going for it, and that's ultimately what, what, what I did. You know, I went from having kind of seven, eight properties in two thousand and fifteen up to kind of fifty now. Mm. And it was really that one year when we probably put on about seventeen, eighteen that enabled me to kind of leave the day job and then move yeah. back home a full-time investor. Sweet, sweet,
0: very nice. Amazing. Um so what you know, what what are the the, the difficulties an expat is going to face investing in the UK, versus you know just apart from, non- apart
1: from the fact that you might have to fly here a few times, obviously.
2: Yeah, because
0: yeah. there, yeah. there has to be some some differences. It can't be just. So,
2: um, so certainly different. finance, a hundred percent is is difficult. You know, when, when I was in, in in Dubai, you know, to work with Lloyd's, ipswich Building Society, I could work with as well, and um, Shawbrook Bank, I could I could work with. You know, I think Kent lights do it now as well. Whereas Lloyd's have exited the market, so there's. There is a couple more um finance people coming into the market, which is is probably good. but you know again, you need a broker that, 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 that knows it And um you know the the other big thing or you know your your big challenge to me again, it's all about having that simple strategy, having that that area and building your power team. You know that the other stuff isn't you know just some said, my year in Dubai, I still argue was my most efficient year. It's not necessarily a bad thing being far away it means you don't waste your time mm. you know you've got to work out what you do if you're an investor you know you shouldn't be turning up to your house every day you're just going to get in the builders' ways yeah you know what you want to be doing is focusing your time and sourcing the deals focusing your your time on working out how to finance the deals yeah and you can't do that from from anywhere you know the, the, the other thing I would say is you know do what I did I would either pay someone to be looking at stuff for you or have a joint venture partner that you can work with. So you're actually getting that local knowledge and um, particularly yeah. if you don't know an area, um, you know, particularly if you're, and, and I, you know, I don't almost want to be buying all my properties, products from people within that area, you know, no, no disrespect to any sourcers that, that are here <laughs> or whatever, but, you know, people who are based in London sending out deals in Manchester, Liverpool, Blackpool, they, mm-hmm. they typically don't know the areas.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, definitely. So I know that you did quite a, you know, a large conversion, um, converting um, offices into grade one offices into mm.
2: 20 apartments, which is... Yeah, yeah, that was, was my great. first development project, not not, yeah. not probably recommended to everyone. Well, yeah. grade yeah.
1: one for your first one, I that know, sounds keen.
0: So I guess, I guess, you know, tell us, um, so first of all, how did you find it? And just talk us through kind of step by step how you found it, what you did with it, and and, and so on.
1: Were you still abroad when you did this or were you back?
2: Yeah, no, I was I, I was abroad. Um oh, wow. What, what what had actually happened was I went to a networking meeting when I was back in the UK and I was speaking to a guy, Michael Dong, who's quite a big developer in Manchester now, mm-hmm. talked about what I was doing. And he says, that all sounds good and makes a lot of sense, but... If you just increase it like zeros, instead of doing one, do 10, do, or do, do 100, depending on where you are. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the only difference is the zeros. Like, if you're going to do everything one by one, it's going to take you a long time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That, then all of a sudden, I kind of thought, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So, I then kind of stopped looking for terraced houses and started to look for um, commercial properties. Mm-hmm. And there's a place called Hamilton Square that's on the, on the Wirral that's got the most amount of Grade One buildings outside of Trafalgar Square in in wow. the UK. So it's a <laughs> really amazing buildings. Yeah, um, it had um, two office blocks um, that were up for sale in um, an auction. I managed to kind of speak to the owners. They were kind of selling from pensions, no, no real interest in in developing them. Yeah. Um, I also knew that in the square some of the previous offices had already been converted. So I knew okay. like planning for it, yep. etc. Got them pre-auction from the people. Um also at that time you used there's a company called Crowd Property, very yeah. early days for crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I was their second or third client very 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 early wow. on.
3: Yeah,
2: that's right. Um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're quite they're actually in the UK and Australia now. But mm-hmm. so I kinda used um alternative finance for for doing it and then we were also quite clever we um when we sold them we actually we kind of forward funded them so we basically said to investors you know you get them at a 10% discount however we've got to be able to use your deposits to do the refurbs on Ah, Uh,
1: which um, um, yeah it would work with investors because you know they'd have that money sitting there wouldn't they
2: yeah. And yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the reality was, you know, kind of, I mean, I wouldn't actually do it like that again. Because <laughs> when, we fi- when we were finished, some of the investors then flipped them and they actually made more money per flat than we did. Oh, right. what, <laughs> you, you
1: don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I no. mean, presumably you still made some money, but it could have Absolute, been done better.
2: But, yeah. But it was kind of like, yeah, we, we, we'd just done normal. We would have done okay. but
3: okay.
1: So we,
2: we used a, a mixture of, you know, finance from the, the, the buyers. Crowdfunding, mm-hmm. some private finance. Right. Um, as well, we also um, I kind of find that you know everyone else who'd done the development on the on the square, and then we, we basically we lifted the same architects, same mm-hmm. building controls. So yeah. We knew had good relationships with it with a listed officer. Right. Yeah, and then there was another guy who was also doing um, three offices at the time. So we went out to um, build teams. And uh, we basically tendered for all seven offices at the same time
3: mm-hmm.
2: to keep our um, costs down. Right, nice, yeah. nice.
1: Well, no, I mean, again, that's that's coming down to using people who'd already done it.
2: Hmm. Absolutely. As it, yeah.
1: as it was your first one, you're using the people who've got this through already. I mean, yeah, we yeah. we recommend people do that. Obviously, if you've if you're doing a planning something you know you use an architect and applying consultant in that area who knows those people already yeah because you're much it's much easier because they, they just don't bother applying for something they know that's not going to work
2: yeah absolutely absolutely mm. I, 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 absolutely. and um you know I mean, that was probably one of our smoothest development <laughs> we, we, we did you know it was they, they were built out within 26 to 28 weeks we sold them all off nice. plan but then again we, we paid for that so to get investors on board, we used um, a company called Secure, who basically had lot, of, you know, they'd sell a lot of these off-plan deals mm-hmm. nice. to, to, to investors, and, you know, you know, but they've got the list, etc. so you're paying yeah. more than what you'd be paying to an agency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we were, like, sold out within one day of going live. I mean, wow. wow. That's good. That's good. Um, too, too long to get the money in, I might add, <laughs> but in terms of…
0: <laughs> yeah. um, so, the development itself. Um, what, what exactly did you do um, to to this building, mm-hmm. and what kind of problems came up? What unexpected things happened?
2: Yeah, so the kind of first thing, I like doing listed buildings because a lot of other people don't like doing it, so it scares (laughs) a lot of people off, and typically I find that they're too um, small for large developers to to get involved in, but too big for little guys as well, Okay, Um, but also a lot of the time listed buildings were old houses, so actually these are offices, you know, war old big houses, right. which actually meant in terms of layout, et cetera, it's, it's not too difficult to carve it up, them up into flats, right. you know.
3: Right.
2: Um, the the other good thing about listed buildings is you don't, you know, there's different controls. So the listed building officer has authority over building control. You right. um, oh, don't right. have to do EPCs, etc. Et so they won't let you rip stuff apart, put more insulation, etc. in. Right. So sometimes that actually works. You works in your favour in terms of the build cost.
3: Okay. Um,
2: and in terms of you, know, to be honest, where the and on the actual build for that, you know, we, we lost a couple of weeks. Um, you know, we, we had to hurry away at one point to raise extra cash um, <laughs> because not not because the budget had gone over, but because we hadn't had. had, had funds in from the investors right. that was really the biggest challenge it was probably going into a bit naive with investors when they all say yeah we're going to pay this and we're going to pay it on this time yes. and we were we were paying the builders every two weeks You know, mm. probably, was, we were, at that point it was probably 40 grand every two weeks we were paying we had this beautiful cash flow forecast
3: yeah. and it all
2: worked but then until you you realise that 30 or 40% of the investors haven't paid on time yeah. and you need to be <laughs> sure that the, the guys are going to say that, so that was definitely was was a bit complex. Also, you know, probably a lesson learned in, in you know we on the sale of the freehold, we had one of the people next to us who who tried to make kind of a legal claim that we'd done um, something at, at the back, which which we hadn't, but right. was just tra- trying to get extra cash um, from it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, to you know, and just again having, and we were lucky. You know, we did actually have to get a barrister's opinion on it, but. Again, it was our solicitor that was kind of an, an expert in development and kind yeah. of knew what he, what he was talking about because it was quite, a, it was just to do with right of way so again, some mm-hmm. of these offices used to be connected, um, whereas they, they, they weren't when, when, when we had it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, just ha- having an expert to, to make sure there is any legal disputes that, that you can do it. And definitely, you know, having bigger cash reserves. Mm-hmm. That, what I'd had that, that first time you know you you, yeah. you, you really want to be having probably 20-30%
3: yeah.
2: m- m- more cash available than what your perfect cash flow forecast would go to
1: yeah I mean dealing with multiple smaller investors particularly if they're relatively yeah. new they can be a lot twitchier mm. and a lot less predictable I mean ideally you want to be dealing with sort of one really relaxed investor don't you you want somebody yeah, yeah. who's got so much money they're just like take it off me I don't really care what you do with it just give it back in fact just keep it indefinitely if you're paying me I just don't don't want to know I don't want to deal with it the smaller you go and the smaller you pops you go I mean when you're kind of going down to kind of the 30 40000 you're getting really twitchy investors, aren't you?
2: Yeah. And, it's, it's, and, it's, and we, we had 20 of them.
1: Oh, in, man. In, uh, wow.
2: And then, and, and, and the other thing, you know, as I said, that the forward funding was a good model in terms of how it works, but then the, actually dealing with 20 of them and then being aware you're dealing with them through solicitors as well. Oh, no.
1: So, wow. it,
2: you could you rack know, up it, the it,
1: legal fees by doing that, couldn't you? Because if your solicitors happen to deal with them, yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But as, as I say, I mean, it, you know, they're, and that one, you know, to, to be on, honest, the actual build and everything went, went pretty well. We, mm-hmm. We've had other projects, I think, I think that's a lesson I'd say from some of the other developments. I think it's important you've got an architect who's commercially minded,
3: right? So, I've had yes. a couple of
2: different architects that I've worked with in some of these development projects, some who have been very commercial and some who haven't. And, um, and again, we, we use them to manage the lead contractor and to manage costs, yeah. etc. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you really need to, to make sure you've got a tight control on you know, it. On Hamilton Square. We kind of came in at budget, but I've had other projects in Plymouth where where we went off on budget, mm-hmm. and that really down to lack of control ultimately our end. Yeah. Um, but you know, there, you'll get architects who really want to design everything, make it kind of look pretty, yeah. and then you you'll get they you want to do that, but understand the commercial realism of it as well. And yeah. You just need to be clear of what that person's doing for you.
1: Yeah. yeah I mean, it's a balancing act, isn't it? Because you're you're balancing making it pretty and saleable, and obviously, if you're talking about great listed buildings, you, you've got limited You have to work with everything, Mm. but ultimately you're doing it for a profit, aren't you? So you
2: you got to walk that line. Sometimes you're better using a QS to Mm -hmm. to manage the the bill costs. Definitely, just being really clear of what each of these kind of power people can do for you. Yeah, and then Um, also just you know for any of the listed stuff, you we've always been very active with the listed officers, getting them engaged Mm. because they're they're they're, going to have to be anyway. Yeah, as I say, what what I typically found was they actually ended up meaning that some of the stuff that you would have done in a normal development we didn't have to do to protect the structure.
1: Yeah, which is to your advantage, obviously, because if if you can't do the level of sound insulation and everything because of the building, and that's going to save you money, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: and and particularly now, because it's getting even more Mm. um, compliance-driven around that site.
0: Yeah. Um, so, and what what would you say is you know because you've done a number of listed buildings now? What 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 would you say are the things to look out for? The things that have or, or th- examples of things that have gone wrong purely because it's a listed building that you're trying to convert?
2: Yeah, so, so probably getting a listed building as close to a house as possible. There's probably less things likely to go home go wrong, whereas we had one big care home that we did. Mm-hmm. and Part of the challenge is until you rip it apart, you don't actually know what's behind there. Yeah, right. And then, um, so, so we had, for example, oh god, we we'd want to tell you we'd existing price for what we thought steels were going to be, mm-hmm. and then kind of actually, know all of a sudden you it, it's going to be far mm-hmm. higher. So that you want to be able to control costs. I mean the the here home we did was an amazing project to do and it was a very cool building whereas um you know all the flats were different so it's far more Mm -hmm. kind of stylish but when we've done it in more the the standard blocks it's just popping on top of each other so yeah if you want you want to kind of do more the simple route i I kind of do it on on, on top of each other (laughs) and obviously you you want to be able to keep any of the features you can do Mm -hmm. because it really the difference with yeah. them um, yeah. when you 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 go out to sell them. And then ultimately thinking of who your end user is. You know, so mm. when we've done listed buildings, we we've now done them for investors. Mm-hmm. We've done them for over fifty fives. yes you know, so the investors were quite small apartments. The over fifty fives were massive apartments, yeah. you know, yeah. almost right. double the size. Of, of what we did for investors and, and far more grand yeah. and then two of the other offices that, that we did to 10 apartments was much more for kind of professionals mm-hmm. yeah. so again that that was kind of in between them so just being very clear of, of what your end model is yeah. and also then who, who, who markets it etc but in terms of actually the the build side of it you know as long as you go into it with your eyes open I don't believe it's any more diff- difficult than mm. doing standard refurbs you know it's different to doing new builds
3: mm-hmm. but
2: um, compared to standard refurbs you know I probably had more issues with um, those than I have with the list of buildings yeah right yeah. Okay. interesting
0: <laughs> what are your thoughts on the successful traits and pitfalls in property investing?
2: Yeah, so so definitely traits, you know, my, my view is that the people that kind of focus on, on one strategy, whether that's single let service accommodation, what what one area become experts at it and, and then go and do something else, um, is where you see people really get traction. Mm. Yeah. Um lo- lots of different pitfalls, you know, from focusing on what I'd call shiny pennies, so yeah. one yep. definitely. single led, <laughs> next time you want to do a hotel, you're Looking at something in Blackpool, something in London, you know, just 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 all over the place, mm. and and also making it more complicated than it than than it, than it is, you know. Mm. So yeah. trying to you know just kind of come up with you're thinking of you know, what the sellers trying to do, thinking of what the tenants want, just adding twenty levels of complexity that you don't need. You know, we, we all live in houses, whether we own them or or yeah. whether we we rent them. It's a relatively straightforward model that that mm. we're doing, and then the Third thing that I see um, sometimes is, you know, trying to go too big too quick. Mm. Right. You know, the, the, there's a reason that banks like you to buy a, a terraced house, to do an HMO, to do a block of flats. And I know that's a bit hypocritical when my first development was yeah. a grade one, one building. But,
1: but you'd you know, the, done the, a load of buy-to-lets by that point. You'd yeah. had lo- you'd uh, loads. Well,
2: not, not, not a huge amount, to be no? honest. No? <laughs> okay. But the, the market, we put it this way, you know, that the market was in a good position at that right. time when, when, when I did it um and that conversion went very smooth out of you know compared to other ones so yeah mm-hmm. i really do there's a huge benefit in actually going up the gears one by one
3: yeah. yeah and also
2: once you once you do the bigger stuff then you just go and set yourself a, another bloody target so yeah. you might as well enjoy the journey when you're going through it and you know learn how to do it on, on a cheap terraced house rather than, you know, on a couple million pound development. Yeah.
0: So w- when you bought the, um, you know, the, the one up in the Wirral where you were converting that, that was obviously a massive jump for you. How much was that to buy?
2: So they, they were, both offices were roughly about 400,000. Right.
1: right. But I mean, right. obviously...
2: And the development
1: was a lot, presumably.
2: Yeah. So they were, so as I was, it was, it was 800,000 to buy, both of them. Right. And yeah. then, I mean, again, build costs were brilliant at that time. We, we brought those build costs in you know, 300... 300,000 for 10 wow. apartments. That's good. Good I've, grief.
3: I've,
2: I've just got a quote back for six micro studios um, in a place called Southport at 350,000. Yeah, so, yeah uh, building, building
1: prices have gone, gone up, up madly, haven't yeah. they, lately? Mm. I mean, partly just the fact that there aren't enough builders and build, co- <laughs> build building material materials material. have gone up a lot as well haven't they so it's yeah. y- you really have to find a, a special deal for it to stack mm. with the build costs now
2: yeah, yeah. But, but, but like a year before that you know I had been you know, my purchase um you know, it was like a 40,000 pound house at auction <laughs> that, we were, that we were then developers. So it kind of shows you know that they were both, you know, million-pound GDV developments, so it was a yeah, you know, yeah. significant jump from, you know, each of the flats was worth each of like what each of the houses was we'd been developing before.
0: Yeah. Mm. Um, so what would you say? You know, so you'd done a number of little houses, and then you then you you went and bought these eight hundred thousand pounds worth of offices. Um, it's obviously a big a big jump to go and do that, you know, in, in terms of getting the finance in place to secure the deal. What tips would you give to someone um, who's, who's, you know, they've done a number of small properties and they want to go up and, you know, um, what advice would you give to them? What should they look out for?
2: Yeah, again, I mean, I, you don't want to do it yourself. You fi- find someone else who's done it mm. and, and work with them, you yeah. know, even if you have to give away a part of it. Also, just make sure your power team are what I call property people. As I said, mm-hmm. like crowd property where we funded that fraud. you know, they're probably the only people who would have lent it to me. It was grade one. I was yeah. – is overseas yeah but they're property people that, that work mm-hmm. in finance so just yeah. make it yeah. sure that your your experts are property people that work in the area definitely definitely cool.
0: um so m- moving to a different subject um what are your what are your thoughts at the moment on capital growth versus yield
2: yeah so o- o- over the long run my kind of thoughts are that you're typically the, the better returns from property are in capital growth um right. you know so and, and I actually saw some IFA put up some information about the average you know the the average return was 56 57 percent capital and the, the remainder yield right so kind of when we've almost we, we got too far everyone used to say just buy for capital growth now everyone says just buy for yield mm-hmm. I think my view is you know you can have some so I've got kind of a multi-let that's very much cash flow driven yeah probably capital growth is starting to top out now and then down now and I'll do more kind of single lets and better areas where my gain will be from capital growth on that yeah Yeah. Uh, but at the same time I, I wouldn't ignore capital growth if someone gave me a million pounds and said, so "I can never get any of the money from this, and it's just got to be left to good cause. I would go to <laughs> London and buy the best house possible for a million pounds, and just let mm-hmm. capital do 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 its magic. Yeah. And you know, the, the other great thing that capital growth is for property is you know we only have to put even just standard buying. You know, you put down a twenty five percent deposit, yeah, but mm-hmm. you get the capital growth on a hundred percent. There's no mm-hmm. other business yes you can gain from that. You know yeah. the for properties you know is is get rich slow everyone gets disappointed about what they made in one year but then they're surprised by what they've done over 5 to 10 years. Yeah, it
0: definitely snowballs, doesn't it? It just gets bigger and bigger and, bigger and faster and faster and once you've got a portfolio, you know, it's going up in hundreds of thousands per year, um, mm. which is quite incredible. Um, so and, and one one kind of last question, which is on um, your thoughts on product investors versus asset investors.
2: Yeah, and again, b- both of them work well. I think just be very clear what you want to do so, you know, you're a product investor, you're coming out with the same look and feel about the place I'm very much an asset investor so I'll look at a place and I'll say right can that work for a student house if it doesn't work for a student house can we do it for single lets ah. um, can we do it for service mm-hmm. a bit like you know we, we had a conversion that we were going to do to six apartments the figures now don't work so we're now doing that service to offices right and we're doing it at, at a beauty salon down, down before and again I, to me that's the beauty of property you can get into if you're a real kind of interior design Person, But you can also get into if you're, you know, what I'd call it, an asset person where you can really look at how you can maximise a building, whether that's doing extra advertising, whether it's doing extra micro studios, whether it's being aware of what the permitted development changes are Mm -hmm. or, or planning gains um you know I, I i'm like that you know I, I you know all our stuff's cool but you know i pay someone to make it look cool yeah <laughs> uh, the, I would, the, the guys i know who do really good product stuff are really from a marketing background right and are yeah. um quite um you know you very control driven in terms of how they want stuff to look in very clear mm-hmm. views of what it is whereas. it's my interior designer will full me up and say, do you prefer A and B? And I'm like, I don't know. You, 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 <gasps> choose. you
1: choose, yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: your, your, your stuff looks good. I like it. Go and do it, please. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, well, thank you. Thank you, Billy, so much for coming on our show. Um, I was just wondering, you know, how what's the best place for people to follow up with you or contact you?
2: Yeah, so I'm on most of the social media stuff. So people contact me on Facebook, um, LinkedIn. Also, feel free to drop me an email. It is Mm -hmm. billy at billyturriff.com and Turriff is spelled T-U-R-R-I-R-F. Great.
1: Oh, lovely. Great to chat.
0: Thanks very much, Billy. Um, And we'll speak to you all next week.
1: Thanks for listening. Great to see you both. Enjoy the rest of the day.